the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome, folks, once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, We get on the air uh, on the weekend. Thank you. Thanks to uh, Alan Dempsey. He's our engineer, has been for years. And uh, Andrew Herdliska produces this show for us each weekend. Uh, uh, Glad to have Tim Jennings with us from Chattanooga. Long, 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 long resume. Uh, I would take half the show just listing it, Tim, but uh, we're going to talk about your new book, The Aging Brain, and uh, welcome to Orlando, Tim. Thanks for having me, Pat. So what is this about, The Aging Brain? What's uh, what's the story here? What's going on? Yeah, so the main emphasis of this book is that really in the subtitle, Proven Steps to Prevent Dementia and Sharpen Your Mind. And it's really the idea that the, the most common form of dementia, the late-onset Alzheimer's dementia, uh, what we now know, it's really a consequence of many factors over our life, and that if we make lifestyle changes, that uh, the vast majority of people will not even get Alzheimer's. You can avoid it completely, even if you have a family history of the late-onset form. Your book opens with part one, history and aging. Oh, the problem of aging, developing a healthy brain, our genes and aging. I want you to cover that whole history there and explain it. Yeah, that, that, that's great. So the, the point of that is to basically state that our physical health has its foundation in our genetics and what we inherit from our, our ancestry, our, our, our parents and grandparents and so forth. And so they will set a, set a baseline template from which then we live our lives. And those early um, gestational and early childhood experiences can set us up to be, for instance, more worried or anxious if we, um, if um, mother was uh, maybe abusing substances during pregnancy or if we had traumatic uh, infancy or childhood. And those elements over the course of our life, if we have more anxious, more worried, more stressed, more conflictual because of those early experiences, they can uh, increase inflammatory cascades and accelerate the aging process. So the foundation of our health really starts before we're born. And then you move into oxidative stress and aging. First of all, explain that word oxidative. So oxidative just means oxygen molecules interacting with other molecules, and they will cause damage to those other molecules. And so if you set a a piece of metal out and it comes back later and it's rusted, that's oxygen interacting with the metal causing the rust. Or you cut an apple and it's browned. That browning is oxygen in the atmosphere interacting with the apple, browning it or damaging it. And so oxidative stress in our body is when molecules in our body that have oxygen that's able to interact with them uh, begins interacting with those molecules, damaging them in some way. Uh, Let's move into some specifics here in part two. Uh, Talk to us about obesity and aging. The link is unmistakable, you tell us. Right, and so... um, the uh, obesity is a factor that increases oxidative stress. The um, adipose tissue creates molecules that have oxygen that can react with it, and it interferes with the body's antioxidant enzymes. And so a human brain at age 70, that is an obese person's brain at age 70, will have um, 8% less volume and appear 16 years older than a normal weight person at age 70. And so there is a consequence of the obesity, the oxidative stress factor. The obesity, though, also um, is a signal for other factors that accelerate aging. For instance, obese people tend to exercise less than non-obese people, and exercise slows the aging process. Obese people tend to have more sleep disorders than non-obese people, and so uh, sleep disorders accelerate the aging process. So obesity becomes kind of a marker for a constellation of factors that accelerate the aging process, one of which is increasing oxidative stress. Dr. Tim Jennings is with us from Chattanooga, the book The Aging Brain. Now I want you to explain sugar, oxidation, and aging. We are what we eat. Right, and so um, in, in our food, there's, um, we can get 
uh, in our food, we can get molecules that are called um, advanced glycation end products. And what that means is a glucose molecule has bound itself to another molecule that it shouldn't bind itself to, and that molecule then can't do its normal work, and the glucose can't be used for energy. And we get those advanced glycation end products either from food and, uh, and the cooking methods that, that use very high temperature, searing, um, um, frying, and that type of cooking can form those molecules, or if we eat a lot of sugar and we have high sugar in our blood, then our body will form these molecules. And for people who know have a diabetic in the family, they might have heard of something called hemoglobin A1C. That's a lab test where the doctors are checking to see how closely the blood sugars are being regulated because the hemoglobin, which normally carries oxygen in our blood, will bind to the glucose molecule, and it forms that new molecule, hemoglobin A1C, and that becomes very damaging to the tissues. And this is why diabetics have higher retinopathy or, or retinal damage, and they can have blindness or peripheral neuropathies, or they can have higher rates of dementia, including Alzheimer's dementia, because the high glucoses bind forming these uh, advanced medication products which damage our body. There's a third piece here in uh, part two that I want you to get into tobacco, illegal substances, alcohol and aging, and you tell us if you abuse it, you lose it. Yeah, that's exactly right, and I think most people understand that with tobacco now, probably don't need to be told that uh, cigarettes are harmful to your health, and not only do they increase cancer risks, but they do also increase your dementia risks as well, and that's because of all the damaging it's, uh, damage it's doing to our tissues. Illegal drugs, people see that, and I think if you go just to one of the government websites and look at methamphetamine users before and after pictures, you can see how these people have really accelerated their aging because it's so oxidizing and damaging to the body. Alcohol is a tricky one because there's been a lot of research out there that, oh, you know, a glass of wine or two a day may actually be beneficial to health, low heart disease risk, and reduce dementia risks and so forth. And all that research boils down to this. If you're drinking wine, one to two glasses or less a day, there is benefit. But there's no benefit in the ethanol, which is the alcohol portion of the wine. The benefit is coming from the tannins and other substances that give color to the wine, That's where the, which is coming out of the grape. If you um, just drink the ethanol itself in any amount, ethanol is always harmful. If you drink one or two glasses of wine, though, the ethanol amount isn't enough to to for the harm to outweigh the benefit of the tannins. But once you go above two glasses of wine a day, the ethanol load actually becomes more damaging than the benefits from the tan tannins, and you actually get more health-related problems. Uh, what's the difference between drinking wine and, say, whiskey? So whiskey is a distilled alcohol, which has about 40% alcohol, so it's 80 proof, and there is no health benefits from that. All studies show that any type of distilled spirits are harmful to one's health. Uh, uh, wine is not a distilled alcohol. It is a fermented um, uh, fruit, and the alcohol uh, maximum is somewhere, it's usually between 8 to 11% alcohol. So it's much lower alcohol, and you have a lot of the um, actual uh, health um, molecules, healthy molecules from the fruit itself that are distilled out when you distill an alcohol. At this point, we're ready to move to part three. My guest is Tim Jennings from Chattanooga. We're talking about his book, The Aging Brain, awfully important topic. And I'll tell you why, Tim, to me personally, so many people uh, that I'm reading about and encountering are dealing with dementia. Uh, particularly yeah. in the sports world, Bill Buckner and Tom Seaver and Bart Starr and Al Adels and Bobby Knight and so forth and so on. It's just seemingly almost an epidemic. And once it hits, there's nothing you can do about it, right? Is it, it, there's just no way to reverse it. So when we talk about dementia, dementia is a functional syndrome in which you've had loss of memory uh, and one a domain of four different domain losses. So memory loss plus cognitive impairment where you can't plan, organize, strategize. Memory loss with um, motor impairment where you can't button your shirts or tie your shoes. Memory loss with language impairment. You can't use words correctly anymore. Or memory loss with um, inability to recognize objects. You don't recognize a chair being a chair anymore. If you have memory loss plus one of those other domains, that's the syndrome known as dementia. Anything that damages our brain can cause dementia. So Parkinson's disease causes Parkinson's dementia. Vascular disease, uh, which is little tiny strokes, causes vascular dementia. Uh, 
Alzheimer's disease, which is a different disease, causes Alzheimer's dementia and so forth. So when we talk about people having dementia, we have to kind of drill down and say why. Somebody can have dementia for head trauma reasons because the repeated concussions cause bruising to the brain, which causes uh, brain damage over time, which can cause um, post-traumatic dementia. And so, um, so when we hear about all these people, I, I never know ultimately because they never tell you what is the underlying disease for this individual's dementia. Uh, my understanding is that... Um, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali, people thought he had that um, boxing-type movement disorder, but in fact, um, I was told later that he had um, Parkinson's disease, and, and it wasn't from boxing. And so sometimes in the news we can maybe misread things into things. But, so, but the, you're right, many people have, have dementia, and um, the good news, the most common form of dementia is Alzheimer's type, the late onset and um, that type of dementia, the science now shows us, if we do the right things before we get it, um, we won't get it. And in fact, people with mild cognitive changes, so that they can tell they're a little off, but they're not demented yet. If they... My guest is Tim Jennings. We got another segment with Tim. We're talking about his book, The Aging Brain. I'm Pat Williams, and this is the Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. My guest is Tim Jennings from Chattanooga. The book, The Aging Brain. Tim, we've moved to part three. It's called Lifestyle and Aging. Exercising your brain. If you don't use it, you lose it. Tell us about that. So the data shows that um, with um, one of the laws upon which health operates, the law of exertion, if you want something to get stronger, you must exercise it because if you don't use it, you'll lose it. It's not just physical. It's neurobiological. If you want strong math ability, you've got to work problems or music skill. You've got to practice your instrument. So the data it shows that if you actually are a lifelong learner, you study and learn new things that you don't already know, then the brain um, turns on genes that produces proteins that keeps the neurons healthy and actually prevents the onset of dementia if these genes stay turned on. So one of the things that you can do to reduce your risk is to be a lifelong learner, study and learn new things. Uh, is that where reading comes in? So reading is, is not really learning unless you're studying and, and, and assimilating new information. So you can read novels and you can read information, read the paper, but that's not the same thing as studying and learning. Studying and learning would be actually, um, again, learning. So people talk about crossword puzzles. Crossword puzzles have no benefit because that's just repetitive behavior and just reinforcing things you already know. So it really would require you to do something you don't know. So uh, a classic good one would be if you don't already know, take some ballroom dancing lessons. You have to actually think and learn the new steps, but you're also going to get physical movement, which is very good for you as well. I'll have to talk to my wife about that one, Tim. Um, <laughs> I don't want to trample on her new shoes, but nevertheless. Uh, now, talk about sleep in your brain, a requirement for life. The brain is 2 to 3% of the body weight, but it uses 20% of the body's energy, which means it's very metabolic and it has a lot of waste products in metabolism. And those waste products need to be cleared. During sleep, our brain cells contract and will expel the waste products out from inside the brain cell into the cerebral spinal fluid to be cleared out of our brains. If we're chronically sleep-deprived, this is not traveling or an occasional bad night's sleep, but chronically sleep-deprived, then these toxins from metabolism can build up and it sleep deprivation increases our risk of uh, dementia as we age. So that is one factor. Most adults need between seven and eight hours of total sleep a night. And normal sleep is not a uh, solid period of sleep. Normal sleep, there's multiple awakenings in the night that are natural, not environmental awakenings. Naturally, you wake up on your own, may go to the bathroom, and then you come back and you go back to sleep again. And you need um, a total of seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Uh, talk to us about a vacation in time. Rest for the mind equals health for the brain. Yeah, and this is a, this is one that our Western society, I think, has really um, you know pushed people away from, and that is this idea that we not only rest for our body, which is the nightly sleep, but our minds need time to decompress, to unwind, to relax, to take the stressors of work and life off of our shoulders, and just reconnect with nature, with God, with family. And so, well, once a week, taking that sabbatical, that time off, where you can just put away the cares. Uh, the data shows that people who do this actually have significant reduction in stress hormones in their body, lower heart rates, lower blood pressures, uh, better mental health, and lower risk of depression if they take that weekly period to decompress and unwind than those who stay on the rat wheel all the time. 
Tim, tell us about our beliefs in aging, the healthiest worldview. So um, things that cause us fear, that cause us anxiety, that cause us worry. If we have beliefs that make us fearful, apprehensive, worried, stressed, that activates our brain's stress circuitry, which kicks on our immune system, it kicks up blood pressure, heart rate, inflammatory factors, and that accelerates aging. So belief systems that bring us a sense of love, compassion, beneficence, peace, uh, all belief systems that go those directions are going to be healing. They're going to reduce the uh, amygdala firing or stress circuitry firing, reduce the inflammatory cascades, and the data shows promote better health and longer life with less disability and less dementia. Tim Jennings is a Christian psychiatrist, certified master, psychopharmacologist, and his book is called The Aging Brain. Tim, explain to us mental stress and aging, the importance of calming the mind uh, to slow the decline. Right. And so um, in conjunction with what we were just talking about, it's how do we process life stressors? How do we deal with conflicts? Are we a grudge holder? Do we forgive people? It is very clear. Grudge holders stay apprehensive. They stay anxious. They're more stressed. People who forgive others but, but set healthy boundaries so they don't expose themselves to repeated abuse, um, but they don't hold grudges and hostility, they don't then carry around all that negative emotion. So their um, inflammatory cascades in their body are reduced and they have better health. So um, dealing with life stressors in a way that you resolve the stress or resolve the problem and return to a state of internal equilibrium uh, connotes health and helps reduce our risk of dementia as we age. Love and death, uh, resolving one's mortality, uh, where does that fit in this discussion? So one of the normal phases of life as we age is people will come face-to-face with their own mortality, the late-life issues that people fear, and sometimes it's fear of disability, sometimes it's fear of actual dying or losing their loved ones, but those fears have to be resolved for a person to actually have a sense of well-being again. If they're not resolved, then that can lead to... um, coping strategies that could be harmful. People, for instance, uh, are so stressed and so worried that they maybe start having a couple of nightcaps each night, a couple of shots of whiskey before they go to bed. That's quite harmful. It interferes with sleep cycle, adds in um, uh, oxidative stress to, to a person. And so facing and accepting one's mortality and then coming to some peace with that, whether it's with a higher power or through other mechanisms, uh, reduces the uh, stress cascades and actually gives us a longer life and better health as we age. Tim, there's a fourth piece to your book. It's called Pathological Aging. Uh, explain that, first of all. What does that mean? The, the, what, what I mean by that is that dementia is not normal aging. And one of the myths that I've discovered as I've traveled around the country is that many people think dementia is normal. If you live long enough, it's inevitable. You're going to get demented. And mm. that's what I want people to know. It's not true. Dementia is pathology. It's not normal aging. If you live, live a healthy life, uh, you can age and not dement, and that is really the goal, to keep your wits and your abilities about you as you age. And so pathological aging goes into late-onset Alzheimer's disease and walks people through what's actually happening on a cellular level in the brain that's damaging uh, and causing the neuronal death and how that gets reinforced once it starts um, based on these all these other things we've talked about sets up the molecules that drive the death of the neurons in the brain. Tim, you have four specific topics here in part four. The first one is called pathological aging, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, Explain that one. So Alzheimer's disease is the disease that is... um, uh, the, um, is the disease that causes Alzheimer's dementia. And what is happening in that process is that we develop insulin resistance in certain cells of our brain where the brain can't get rid of certain byproducts of metabolism anymore because that's mediated by insulin rece- uh, receptors that respond to insulin. And when that happens, a cascade of events uh, occur that cause neurons to die. And when they die, they leave behind certain trace chemicals like copper and zinc and iron. And the, bo- the brain releases another protein to scavenge those up called amyloid, which should take those out of our brain. But to remove that, we have to have insulin sensitivity. And because we're insulin resistant, we can't remove this amyloid out of our brain. And that actually causes then more neuronal death, and it becomes a reinforcing cascade that leads to the whole syndrome of Alzheimer's dementia once we've lost several billions of neurons. Uh, second topic, vitamins and supplements that prevent dementia. 
So, the, yes, and so in my book, I've worked to, to only include those elements that have good scientific research or evidence to support this idea or the, uh, the fact that it will reduce our risk of Alzheimer's dementia. And there's a whole group of them. Uh, some of them have been known for a long time, and everybody knows, like vitamin B1, uh, thiamine, um, vitamin B12, folate, and so forth. Some of these have been known for a long time. If you don't have these, you're going to have a lot of health problems, including um, problems with um, dementia as you age. Others, though, are not as well known. Omega-3 fatty acids that we get in oily fish like salmon. Um, multiple studies show that people eat the oily fish um, once or twice a week have significant reductions uh, in Alzheimer's dementia compared to those who don't. Um, pomegranate juice uh, has been shown in several studies to reduce your risk of dementia. Uh, in some studies, up to 70% reduction in risk because the pomegranate juice helps clear this protein, this toxic protein out of our brain. Um, walnuts, uh, data shows that walnuts, uh, people who eat walnuts regularly have more brain mass and healthier um, cognition and better memory and less dementia than people who don't eat walnuts regularly. So there's a variety of these that, that have been well documented, and there's very simple things we can do in our life. Let me go over that again. If, you, if we were to have uh, some foods that we really focused on, I heard you say walnuts, salmon, pomegranate juice, anything, right. anything else? Yes, um, data shows that uh, regular coffee drinkers have significant reductions in all causes of mortality, including uh, dementia. And Alzheimer's dementia is reduced if we drink coffee mm. on a regular basis. Um, now, let, let me just throw in here, um, artificial sweeteners um, increase your risk of Alzheimer's dementia. Mm. If you high sugar diet does too, but if you have a low sugar diet and you have a teaspoon of sugar in your coffee every day in an otherwise low sugar diet, that does not increase your risk of dementia. In fact, it reduces it because of the coffee. But if you have a low sugar diet and you have a coffee every day and you put an artificial sweetener and a saccharin and equal or one of those, um, then you will increase your risk of dementia. So that's something that's very simple to do. Get those artificial sweeteners out. People ask about uh, uh, trivia. Triv- what's that? Trivia. Um, and uh, that one, the early evidence is it does not increase your risk of dementia for that one, that natural product. Uh, stevia, it's called. Stevia, that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, thank you. So stay with Stevia. Yeah, and uh, for- uh, yes. Okay, well, I'm going to go have a salmon dinner tonight. Um, I'm going to go get some walnuts. Uh, pomegranate juice, I'll have to work on that. And I'll carry Stevia with me for my iced tea. Perfect. Okay, Tim, we got a plan. All right, now talk to us about risk factors for dementia and how to reduce the risk. That's an interesting topic. Yes, and so the big risk factors and the big four categories are um, sedentary lifestyle. So one of the things that reduces risk is to be physically active. Data shows that uh, people 65 years of age and older who started walking regularly, after a couple of months of just uh, 30 minutes uh, walking five times a week, they could uh, show 2% growth in the part of the brain that, that where new memories form, which, which equated to um, their brain appearing two years younger. So it kind of made their brain go um, backwards in time where it looked like it was two years younger, just from the walking regularly. So physical exercise is, is vitally important to maintaining a healthy body and a healthy brain. And so the sedentary lifestyle accelerates the aging. And then the mental exercise, we talked about the benefits earlier, but one of the things that really uh, will accelerate the decline is after retirement, going into your living room, putting your feet up, back, grabbing a bowl of chips and a beer and watching TV, um, and, and you become basically a couch potato. That's just the recipe for losing your abilities, both physical and cognitive abilities. So I tell people after they retire from their employed position, they need to engage in their community, engage in volunteer work if they have to or take a, a second job later in life because staying active keeps us healthy. Now, um, let's talk about caring for a loved one with dementia. What's your advice? First rule of caregiving is the health of the caregiver. And many people fail to realize this because if you don't maintain your health as a health care giver, then the person you were caring for is no longer being cared for, and you now need someone to care for you too. And so I tell people they have to first establish those physical health requirements that are non-negotiable that you must maintain in order to sustain your health so that you can help 
care for a loved one. And that means that, that one of the requirements for all human beings is regular sleep. Yes, we can miss a night or two once in a while, but regular sleep is a requirement for health. So if you have a person at home you're trying to care for and their condition is such that you never are able to get a good night's sleep, then that medically requires some intervention, either a sitter to come in or some other intervention because you have to maintain your health in order to um, help other people. So I tell people to objectify the, the actual physical needs of the person you're caring for and uh, compare that to what you're capable of doing without compromising your own health and then bring resources to bear to assist as needed. Tim, you do an addendum called Smoking Cessation Strategy. Uh, can you give us a brief look at that? Yeah, that, that is just a, a, a tool for people who are smokers who would like uh, some strategies to, to help stop smoking, and I go, go through a whole list of strategies there that people can employ to become uh, nicotine-free. Uh, and uh, there's, a, there's a whole variety of them, um, simple things like finding a buddy uh, and buddying up and uh, setting a date and, uh, and right use of your imagination and don't imagine yourself smoking and so forth. Well, Tim, I tell you what... Uh... Coffee drinkers of the world, unite and uh, have a nice cup of coffee with Stevia on Dr. Jennings, and, it, and it's valuable. Anyway, Tim, it's been wonderful to talk to you. And uh, Thank you for having me, Pat. Thanks for all your insights. Dr. Tim Jennings, our guest, his book, The Aging Brain. Uh, we've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Tim Jennings, our guest uh, from Chattanooga, talking about the aging brain. Uh, we stay in the southeast. We're in Birmingham, and that's where Chris Hodges is, founding and senior pastor of Church of the Highlands, co-founder of the Association of Related Churches. His new book is out. It's called What's Next? How are you, Chris? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me on the on the call today. Uh, explain... That title. What's next? The journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Wow. Well, I, it's with the belief that, um, that people feel like there's something still missing in life and don't really know which way to turn. And so one of the passions that I have uh, in life is just to bring clarity to people's lives and let them know that since the beginning of time, I mean, literally in the Bible, cover to cover, God has always had a very clear spiritual journey for us that so many people are unaware of uh, these steps and these processes and these opportunities that God wants to bring us. So I love to just help people say, hey, here's the whole spiritual journey that God wants to take you on. And let me help you find, you know, help, help find where you are right now so that you can take your next step. There are four sections. The first section is no God. Let's start with uh, topic one, baptism, the wedding band of Christianity. Uh, what does that mean? What's that mean? <laughs> well, I, I really do believe that everything begins with not even being a religious person or being a, uh, just a church attender, uh, that, uh, that we have this opportunity to be in a real, dynamic, vibrant relationship with a very living God. And so that's why we call it know God. And when I say know God, I'm not talking about knowing him in your mind or knowing more of the Bible, per, uh, per se, just actually having a real relationship with God. And just like any, any relationship that matters, the first step in that relationship is some level of commitment. And in the Bible and in Christianity, that first step of commitment is displayed publicly. It's similar to, you know, when you, when you fall in love with... Uh, uh, someone that you want to marry, uh, you set up a wedding ceremony, and there's a moment where you, you know you make vows and you do it in front of an audience of people and put on a wedding band. And baptism doesn't save you, but it's kind of really that ceremony. It's, it's your opportunity to say, "Hey, um, I already had made this decision to be in a relationship with God in my heart, uh, but now I want to go public with it and put a, put on this wedding band called uh, baptism. This this public expression of something that I've already decided in my heart. Uh, second issue here, you call it prayer, conversations with God. Uh, what do you write here? Well, you know, I think so many people, um, 
I think so many people know prayer is important. Even people that aren't even close to God know prayer is important. And very few people know how to do it in a way or pray in a way that they actually enjoy or in a way that actually works for them. And one of the the myths that I like to kind of expose with prayer is people think that it's some kind of formal language or something you have to memorize or say a certain way, when in fact it is just a conversation with God. It's literally, good morning, Lord. Good, uh, ha- I- So good to talk to you today. I mean, just, just in the same way that you would have a conversation with another person, God desires to have this, this, just this very real conversation, and that's really what prayer is. And then the third topic under knowing God, the Bible, letting God's Word speak to you. So if prayer is our opportunity to uh, uh, tell God what's on our heart, I really believe the Bible is God's way to let, him, let us know what's on His heart, uh, that, that we, we dive into the Bible to really understand the heart of God, to understand His ways, to understand His character, to understand His nature, uh, to look for, even as we read it, look for a way to get close to Him. It, it's kind of His love letter, if you will, to us of, of the things that He wants to do in our life. There's, there's thousands of promises for our lives in God's Word, and uh, it's kind of a treasure chest that we can go uh, diving into to understand and get to know our God so much better. And so it's actually my favorite part uh, of the day is, is the time where I can sit down and spend my time with God and allow His Word just to speak to me. And it's so funny, um, Pat, because that I've been reading the Bible for over 40 years, and every day I get something new and fresh that I've never seen before. It's really a beautiful thing. Pastor Chris Hodges is with us from Birmingham. We're talking about his new book, What's Next? Very practical, down-to-earth book. All right, Chris, we've moved to Section 2, Find Freedom. And the first topic you call is relationships. Show me your friends, you tell us. Well, so this is an interesting thing because people, everybody has some area where they want to be free or there's some addiction, some habit, some wound that they know that if it wasn't in their life, their life would be better. And uh, so the question is, how do we deal with it? What, it? what is the way? And what many Christians don't even realize is that God's system, if you will, or his solution for the areas of our life that we all want to change is he, he wants us to have a relationship with another person. So there's a verse in James that says that if you'll confess your faults, not, not to God, but if you'll confess them one to another, and pray for each other, you'll be healed. So, of course, we have to go to God for forgiveness, but we go to God's people for healing, that if we'll come into an accountable relationship or, and have relationships with the right people, that's how our lives are better. And here's how I can prove it, and that is that very few people can, um, very few people can tell, uh, tell you the last 10 sermons they've heard, but every person can tell you the last 10 people who've impacted their life, good or bad, because all of our lives, have been shaped by relationships. We are the sum total of our relationships. So, so I always tell our young people, show me your friends and I'll show you your, your future. And so we get right off the bat, we, we help people uh, understand the importance of relationships. Next topic under finding freedom is called transparency. Honesty is the best policy. Yeah, and that, and that honesty I'm talking about with someone else. I, we urge people, if you really want to be free from that addiction, that habit, that wound, that whatever in your life that you know, that if it wasn't in your life, your life would be better, that the key is to have, have some relationship that you're willing to take the mask off and say, hey, guess what? Guess, guess what's really going on? And one of the statements I make in the book is that we'll always stay as sick as our secrets. And so the tendency is to hide it. I'll handle this myself, especially men. I can manage this all by myself, and really, you really can't. You're not going to be able to. That once we have the courage, and you do it with the right person, of course, but have the courage to say, hey, let me show you what's behind the mask. That's where freedom begins. Now, Chris, the Holy Spirit, a breath of fresh air. Fill us in. Well, of course, to find freedom, the role of the Holy Spirit is to come, and for every place where there was, something that we don't want in there, and as we're getting it out, God wants to put something fresh and alive inside of us, and that is the role of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, in our lives, to, to fill us, to, 
to give us what I call a breath of fresh air. It's, it's wind in our sails. It's, it's just this ability to live a life that I never knew I was going to be able to live. Um, the Galatians says it this way, that we're to be filled with the Spirit. And, and so instead of having envy and rivalry and jealousy and hatred and discord, then instead now the Holy Spirit comes in and there's love and joy and peace. And that's not just a fancy verse. That can actually be a reality. Real transformation can take place, and that, of course, is the, the kind of the landing point of finding freedom. Uh, tell us a little bit more on that, Chris, because I think many Christians are confused by the Holy Spirit. So when we accept Christ as our Savior, uh, ask Him to come in into our heart, the Holy Spirit immediately takes up residence in our life. Uh, so far, so good. Um, yes. He's in there, and, and, and He stays there until we die. <clears throat> so does my Holy Spirit link up with your Holy Spirit? Uh, are they compatible, the two Holy Spirits there? Uh, if, I go to, if I go to Australia, does my Holy Spirit in me uh, immediately get excited about the Holy Spirit in an Australian person I've never met? Um, well, it's a, well, yeah, sure. That's the same Holy Spirit in, in, in both of us. The, the Greek word is a parakaletos in the Greek, and it really means one who's called alongside of you. So while God the Father and Jesus the Son are in heaven. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. They're in heaven, but it's the Holy Spirit that's with us here on earth to guide us. In fact, Jesus' favorite word to describe the Holy Spirit was counselor. And who doesn't need one of those once in a while? You know, to guide me through uh, the the decisions I'm trying to make, to counsel me through some of my my issues and my problems and my pain. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic because um, people think of the Holy Spirit as a ghost, <laughs> and he's really not a ghost. He is a friend. He, he is a person. He is someone uh, you can be very close to and intimate with and help um, help you go through life. You know, Jesus said that you, he'll guide you into all truth. Well, who, who wouldn't want that, you know? So it's a very important role that he plays, and that's why we close that section of the book with you know, to really find freedom, you've got to develop this relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. So who do we pray to? Jesus? Do we pray to God? Do we, do we pray to the Holy Spirit? Who should our prayers be directed to? Well, I, I don't like people to get too technical with it, because I think God understands what we're trying to do. But to answer your question, we pray to God the Father mm-hmm. in Jesus' name. So Jesus, the name of Jesus is the, the right, it's the... It's the it's the reason why we have the ability to even approach the, you know, the throne of grace, the, the power of God. Um, so, yeah, we pray to God, the Father, in Jesus' name. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is there just to help us. His role is, it says, when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit himself will help us pray. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that, that's why I want people to be uh, more comfortable with their relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, section 3... Chris, is called Discover Purpose, and the first topic, spiritual gifts, you were made for this. Uh, Fill us in there. Well, once you know God, you have the ability to find freedom. And once you find freedom, here's what's going to happen, is that once you really settle the issues of yesterday, you're going to see the promise of tomorrow so much more clearly. So really, God, this is where where the, the spiritual journey gets so much fun, because and unfortunately, Pat, so many people never get here, um, and that is that God has good things for you. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You say, well, how do I know what that is? Well, he puts inside of us what the Bible calls a spiritual gift, and that shouldn't freak anybody out. What a spiritual gift is, it's just an ability that you don't even know why you have the ability to do it. It almost feels divine. Like, I have this ability to stand on a stage and speak, and speak to a lot of people. My wife that scares her to death. There's other people who are very comfortable spending, you know, helping little children. Well, that's where I get a lot of, get very anxious with all the noise and the movement. Every one of us has an ability in God's economy, God's kingdom, to do something that when we do it, it impacts another person's life, and it makes a difference for eternity. And that's what a spiritual gift is. And so the way we say it is, is that you were made for this. You, you, you were made to do something that when you do it, it's, it's, you, you, you feel and you have this sense of fulfillment. 
When and at what age do you think we begin discovering or should be discovering spiritual gifts? Oh, whatever age you, you give your life to Jesus. You know, uh, Ephesians 4 says that to each person who, who, who knows the Lord, a spiritual gift, and it's translated in many English uh, Bibles as grace has been given. But the word there is charis, which means a spiritual gift. It's, a, it's, a, it's just, again, this, the divine enablement. And it develops just like all of our gifts develop develop um, uh, over time. And, and and but but no, we should start we should start that search and that journey right right away. Here's the way I say it: is that the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born, and then the day you discovered why you were born. And so we put people on that journey right away uh, to to seeing you know what they were created to do. We were created. Ephesians two ten says, for each of us were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So in other words, the thing for us to do was there before he even created us. He's made us on purpose for a purpose. Chris Hodges has written a marvelous book. It's, uh, it's really a book of fundamentals uh, of the Christian life. Uh, we've covered section one, which is knowing God. The section two is find freedom. Section three Discover Purpose, and we've covered spiritual gifts. You were made for this. Uh, We've got to take a break, but when we come back, uh, we're going to get to the second area under Discovering Purpose. It's called the body of Christ. You can't be you without me. Stay with us. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando, Chris Hodges is with us from uh, Birmingham, Alabama, founding and senior pastor of Church of the Highlands there. And uh, Chris, as advertised, uh, talk to us about the body of Christ. You can't be you without me. <laughs> this is a lot of fun because uh, there is this individualism kind of going on, you know, in society when the fact is, is that if we are the body of Christ, and we are a body part, once we've discovered who we are and what we're to do, it only works as well as you're connected to the other body parts. For instance, if you discover, metaphorically speaking, of course, that in, that your, your role is the hand, what well, does it matter unless you find the arm and connect to it? We are a body. I, I do my role with you. And this is my encouragement, Pat, for people to get connected in relationships in local churches. I really think it's critical for us to not only just be Christians, but but for us to be connected to other members of the body of Christ and let me have my role alongside of your role. And according to the argument of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we even value every person's role. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. No, no, no. We need every role, every part every person involved. And so uh, for, I'll give you an example. I have this call. I think my spiritual gift is to is to preach. But honestly, I can only do that as well as some guy turns t- opens a building and and, and 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 turns on the lights and and uh, you know uh, pr- uh, pr- at our church is, has me on a camera or turns on my mic so I can be heard. In other words, it, I may be up there the person everyone sees speaking, but it's taken a whole army of other roles in the body of Christ to pull that off. And so what I do is I say, you know, really, this isn't just about me. Every, it took all of us. It took, it took uh, someone holding your baby in a nursery. It took someone, you know, uh, helping you park your car in the, in the parking lot. It took others uh, who were out on the streets, you know, mowing the grass of a widow. The body of Christ functions best when we each find our role, value each other's role, and then do it together. Now, uh, tell us about the final piece of discovering purpose, growth, you call it, the most exciting part of Christianity. Yeah, this is just my encouragement that, you know, once you find your purpose, don't say, well, I found it, and that's it. No, no, no. The best part of any vibrant body is that my body is growing. So, you know, I, I received my physical body when I was born 56 years ago. But I have done some growing over, over time. In, in some areas, it's not as not the areas I really wanted to grow in. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, but but I but but our bodies are growing, and I think that's the most exciting part of Christianity. Is I urge people 
And don't, don't, don't settle. Don't stay where you are. Keep taking steps. Keep growing. Keep. And so in that, in that chapter, we talk about how Christians uh, can continue the growth process no matter how long uh, you've known the Lord. Because, um, again, the, the thesis of the book is that people feel stuck. Uh, they feel, uh, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, I, I, there has to be more. And, and there is, and th- that chapter just helps get people moving again. Okay, Chris, we've arrived at the fourth section of your book. Uh, the name of the book is called "What's Next: Servant Heart, the Great, <clears throat> the Greatest of All Time." Uh, tell us more about that chapter. Well, the ultimate purpose of every person's life is to make an eternal difference. Now, that's just if people say, "Well, what's?" What am I called to do? Well, you're called to make a difference. That's, that's, if you're still breathing air, um, you're, you're on this earth to do something that impacts eternity. And so we start right off the bat and say, you know, the, Jesus said the greatest person ever isn't the most famous person, not the person on stage, not the person with the most power or money. Jesus said the greatest in his economy is the slave of all, the servant of all. So right off the bat, I think it's important for all of us to understand what Jesus considers greatness, and that is people with a true servant's heart. Next topic, eternal reward, treasures in heaven. Yeah, so a lot of uh, people don't know, Pat, that there's actually not not, uh, one judgment at the end of our lives or at the end of time. There's two. So there's a judgment that determines your heaven and hell. The Bible theologically calls it the, the, the great white throne judgment. It's our, you know, did you receive what Jesus did for you on the cross? And then if, if you did receive what he did, you enter into heaven. Um, and that, that is a judgment that is going to take place that Revelation describes very, very clearly. But there's another judgment. It's a reward judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And it's, it's, it doesn't determine whether you go to heaven or hell. It determines what your heaven is going to be like. It determines what your rewards are going to be like. And Jesus talked about this a lot. He said, I am so excited about giving you rewards that I'm bringing my rewards with me. He says that, that it, it, at the end of time, I'm going to reward you for what you have done on this earth. And so I think it's important, since Jesus emphasized it, to understand that, that, that you can have treasures in heaven. You can... You, you, can, you can actually do things on earth that impact your own life in eternity. And, um, and I think it's, it's, just a, it's a beautiful motivation that Jesus, Jesus uses. And then the final chapter, Impact, Change Your World. Uh, tell us about it. So I think sometimes when we, we talk about making a difference, I, I think the idea of making a difference, and you look at the issues that are going on in the world, I think that can be quite overwhelming. I mean, there's a lot of issues going on in the world. And so in this final uh, chapter, I say, hey, look, the way we change the world is for each of us just to change our world. So don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about the whole world. God has given you a sphere of influence. God has given you... A, a time in history and a place on this globe, hey, go make a difference just right where you are. If, if all of us change our world, collectively we will change the world. Chris, how would you summarize uh, your book to us? And more importantly, how would you summarize what you've been telling us here? That since the beginning of time, God has always had a spiritual journey for you. And most people don't even know what that journey is. And in, and, and in the terms that we use in this book, is that he wants to be in a relationship with you, a vibrant, real one, where it, it feels intimate and personal. We call it know God. Once you know God that you can, now you have the power to settle some of the things that hold you back, the habits, the addictions, the pains, the wounds, the things that you know that if it wasn't in your life, your life would be so much better. We call it find freedom. Once you find freedom, you settle yesterday, you'll see tomorrow that we can discover the fact that we were created on purpose, for a purpose. We can realize that we have something that God has called us to do. And honestly, that, that is so key in, in an age where people feel like their lives don't matter. No, no, every person's life matters. You're not an accident. You're one of a kind for a purpose. And then together we can do what we're all called to do, 
that even secular sociologists say is the greatest way to live your life. In, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the highest need that can be met in the human heart is what they call transcendence, that I'm doing something with my life that's making a real difference. That's the best way to live our lives. Well, I'm uh, all in favor of action points in life, Chris. And it seems to me, uh, anybody who's listening to you here, the first action point is if you have not already been baptized, uh, get that <clears throat> get that taken care of as quickly as possible. Is is uh, is that in accord with your what you're teaching? Well, uh, again, I, my thesis is that all of us are at a different step in a place. So there's some that may be listening today that really don't even feel like they have a real relationship with God. So that would be the first step. Yes. Yes. So there's others who have been baptized, but they, you know, they've never, they've never really addressed their addictions or habits or, you know, the things that there's, well, that's your step. That's the point is that we're all somewhere on this journey, but we're all at a different place. And so hopefully this book will help you discover where you are and help you know what's next. Chris, uh, tell me about your church. So I, I moved 18 years ago from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I was an associate pastor, uh, to Birmingham, Alabama, to start our church. And um, and it, it has just been nothing short of a miracle, honestly. We now have 22 locations all across um, the great state of Alabama. We're in 20 correctional facilities, um, um, not only on Sunday, but throughout the week, Um and now more than 50,000 people actually attend every Sunday. So it has been just just a true miracle. I'm, uh, I'm having the time of my life, and no, no one more amazed than me at what God has done here in the great state of Alabama. Chris Hodges, author of What's Next, <clears throat> has been our guest. We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Thanks so much for plugging in with us uh, today on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, Tim Jennings was with us from Chattanooga talking about his book, The Aging Brain. Very, very interesting material. And then we switched to Birmingham, and there was Chris Hodges, Pastor Chris Hodges, uh, giving us a basic outline on the Christian life. It's called What's Next? Good book, good read. Speaking of books, uh, my latest book is just out. It's called Lead Like Walt. Uh, When I moved to Orlando 33 years ago, I got Disney eyes. Oh, it happens a lot. And I got particularly intrigued with the life of Walt Disney himself. This is the third book we've done on Walt Disney. It's called Lead Like Walt. I think you'll enjoy it. Lots of new material. Go up to Amazon and good way to order books. We'll be back next weekend on the Pat... Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.